Thank you, Kathy. It's a blessing, amen? amen? Folks, thank you so much for your presence today. Take, take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter, look a little bit at Acts 1, but we're going to be primarily in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. It was, it was God's decree, eternal plan. We even read some verses on before the ages began. I know that's pretty profound and it kind of sometimes... We say we believe it and I do believe it, but it sometimes it blows my mind to think about God's sovereign plan of salvation. That Christ being the Passover Lamb and dying on Passover 2,000 years ago was ordered and planned by the Trinity in eternity past. So, the events of the cross, the burial, and the resurrection were all part of God's plan. That's one reason why we talk about Christ's substitutionary death. You can read the narratives about His arrest and all the things that happened to Him and the, how illegal the processes were, but it really it wasn't them taking His life because He's God in human form. It was Christ giving His life as a, sacrifice, as a sacrifice for our sins. But just as He ordered the death, burial, and resurrection, none of that surprised God. Um, <clears throat> matter of fact, the book of Galatians tells us that at the proper time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. So at the perfect time, God ordered for Christ to be born of a virgin uh, in Bethlehem of Judea. It was God's plan. It was God's plan for Christ to die at that specific Passover and be the Passover lamb. But just as much as that's true, God ordained the church. You believe that? This, maybe you don't. Let's say it again. God ordained the church. You believe that? The Bible that tells us about the death, burial, and resurrection is the same Bible that tells us about the birth of the church. God birthed the church. Matter of fact, it happened to be at a Jewish feast that God birthed the church. That feast was called Pentecost, or also known as the Feast of First Fruits. And it was at this feast. 50 days, Penta, 50 days after Passover, that God began the church through the work of the apostles. So let me ask you a question. Who owns the church? Who owns it? God does. How do we know that, how do we know that God owns the church? Because the Bible tells us that He purchased it with what? With His own blood. We are gathered every time the church assembles. We are a blood-bought church. God saves people. Now, I'm not saying God can only save people at the church. That's not what I'm saying. But God saves sinners in the context of the local church. You hear me again? God saves people in the context of of the local church. 
It is God's eternal plan that every saved person be a member of a body of Christ. Don't you believe that? Well, that's exactly what we're going to find in the book of Acts. That everybody who's ever been saved, God intends for them to be part of a local church. That's God's divine decree. Otherwise, why did Jesus or the Bible or the apostles, why did they mention the church 110 times in the New Testament? It is because the church is the body of Christ. We are the representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, God guarantees us a responsibility once we, we come to Christ. So the book of Acts tells us of the birth of the church. Now, I'm not going to give you a huge review. But remember last week, we, we, because we had, we had left the resurrection, we celebrated the resurrection a couple of Sundays ago, so we were one week removed from the resurrection. So I introduced you into the ascension of Christ, which is found in Acts chapter 1. Now, I do realize that we're way ahead of the schedule, right? 2,000 years ago, Christ was still appearing here and there over the course of 40 days, right? But after the, after the ascension came the Feast of Pentecost and the church was born. So last week, the week after the resurrection, we celebrated the resurrection, we looked at the, the ascension of Christ into heaven. And if you'll remember, just your Bible's open to Acts 1, just briefly. I mentioned to you about there's three important things that Jesus talked about. So for those 40 days that Jesus was alive and appeared to the believers, by the way, He did not appear to unbelievers, He appeared to believers. Do you know why? Let me give you one reason why. Because the Bible says, now, now, think, now think with me, this is, God's, this is God's decree. Christ in His resurrection appearances only appeared to people who had already believed in Him. Now there's a reason for that. There's several reasons, but one of which is that the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing in hearing by the Word of God, right? So, if He had appeared miraculously to a bunch of lost people and they got saved because they saw the resurrected Christ, that would be different from how you and I got saved. But we're all saved the same way. We're saved by faith through the hearing of God's Word. So, in the resurrection appearances, Jesus only appeared to believers. So, during the course of those 40 days, He, and he taught... One of the things he did is he talked about the kingdom. And I mentioned to you last week, there were there's three things he talked a lot about. One, and, and I'll be brief, was if you pick up at verse 2 and just start reading, you find out that he talked a lot about the Word of God, about His teaching, uh, the words that He would speak, the things that they would need to hear. And it's, He would say, and He said, you know, Luke's recording this, and, and Jesus said, and He spoke, and they heard. So, number one, um, this is how God now reveals Himself, is through His Word. So we, we know from reading the book of Acts chapter 1, that as a believer, the Word of God needs to be preeminent in our lives. Number two, we learned about the power of God. Now you can see part of that in verse 8. So it's the Word of God and the, then the power of God. We saw that in verse 8. 
where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And of course, that's immediately going to take place at the Feast of Pentecost when people from all over the world hear the gospel. But you can jump over to chapter 2, the same thing, and when the, the tongues of fire, the languages, and it says in verse 4 of chapter 2, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in languages and tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit. As the, as the Spirit gave them, as the Bible says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, when you read the book of Acts chapter 1, you notice a couple of things. Number one, you notice the Word of God. Number two, you notice the power of God. And then the third thing I mentioned last week was towards the end of chapter 1, is, and this is part of God's eternal plan, the Word of God, the power of God. And then verse 25 says that they replaced Judas with Matthias. And, and it says in verse, to take the place in this ministry. So the third thing I mentioned, and of course you could mention so many more, we mentioned the Word of God, we mentioned the power of God, and we mentioned the ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. That everybody who's ever been saved has been called into the ministry. Now, I'm not talking about called to preach, you know, called into the, the, the vocational being a minister. That's what, but the word ministry is the word servant. All of us, if you're saved, you've been called into the ministry. Now, specifically, they need to replace Judas. But in general, everybody who's ever been saved, the Bible is clear, God calls you into ministry. So I have to always ask you, what is your ministry in the body? See, you're not isolated. Matter of fact, isolation and being anonymous is a poison to a believer. You're meant to be together and a part of a body. And the Bible says that when you serve and you minister in the church for Christ, you're doing it for the other believers. You're doing it for the body. It talks about you're not doing it to build yourself up for people to praise you. You're, you're doing it to build up, the Bible says, to, Ephesians 2, to build up the body of Christ. That, that's why God has gifted you. for. So think about this. It, it's true that every person that's ever been saved, the Bible says God gifts them, gifts them, to work in the church, to serve the church. Every, so it's about everybody who's ever been saved has been given a, sometimes more, at least one gift or more gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. So am I right? Salvation and church membership go together. Right? Now, obviously you can be a church member and not be saved. I've baptized tons and tons of people who were church members for years, but they really were never born again until later on in life. So church membership doesn't mean salvation. But if you're saved, you know what comes along with salvation? Church membership. So to, to be an inactive church member is really a lie. It's disobedience. It, you do not find that in the Bible. You, you do not find inactive church. There's not, a, there's not a book that says how to deal with inactive church members. It's not in the book. Now, we found out ways to how to deal with them. Not well, but we do. But it's, it, so, salvation 
and, and church membership. These things go together. And we find that in Acts chapter 2 when the church is born. So flip over one page to Acts chapter 2. So Peter gets to preach. You know, Pentecost comes, the Spirit falls, they begin, they begin to speak. Well, first the wind, the sound draws the crowd, the sound of the Holy Spirit, I don't know, maybe a sound of a hurricane, whatever it was, drew the crowds. And then these apostles began to speak languages that were not their native tongue. So that everybody there at the Feast of Pentecost heard the gospel in their own language. And it just bewildered them that here were some Galileans. That's what they said. Are these not Galileans? Now folks, I, I'm, from, I'm from Calhoun County. Okay, That's, uh, you go 21 north, you, you go through Sylacauga, Talladega, then you come to Oxford, Anniston, then you keep going, you go to Jacksonville, over to the west from Jacksonville, between Anniston and Jacksonville, there's a little town called Weaver. Folks, Weaver, and I love Weaver, but we're, we were rednecks. We are rednecks, okay? I'm still a redneck. The Galileans in Jesus' day, they were the rednecks. They, they were considered the backward group of people. That's why it astonished them to hear it, but they said, are these men not Galileans? Are they not common, uneducated rednecks? And yet we hear the Word of God in our own native tongue. This is part of that message. Of course, number one, they say they're drunk. You know, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And they say, you know, they start scoff the Jews, the devout Jews, the religious, you know, the um, Sadducees and Pharaoh. They start mocking them and say, oh, they're just drunk with... By the way, it's crazy. They say, this is just a side note. They say, if you're reading the text, they say... At 9 o'clock in the morning, they're saying they're drunk, but they say they're drunk with new wine. That don't even make sense, does it? Because new wine is what? New wine is not fermented, but that's what the text says. But they're making fun of them. Oh, they're drunk with new wine, but they weren't drunk with new wine. Peter says that. Hey, we're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. And he goes on to say, this is what's happening to the Spirit of God. Prophet Joel. I'm picking up in Peter's sermon. Verse 36, chapter 2. So this is towards the end of Peter's sermon. Now remember, this is the same Peter that had denied Jesus three times, had been restored at the Sea of Galilee, you know, the issues with the fish and bringing them to shore and all that. Peter, do you love me more than these? And yea, Lord, you know that I love you. So now this is Peter who, who had denied even knowing Jesus, standing in front of all the same people that had Jesus executed with tens of thousands of other Jewish people or proselytes. So there were Jews, it's a Jewish feast, Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, but there's also proselytes. People that had, been, that had been persuaded by Judaism. So they were proselytes. So they, they were Jews, but they were also proselytes to Judaism. From absolutely every language on the face of the earth was there. So, Peter's preaching a sermon. Verse 36, part of this sermon. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain 
that God has made him, talking about Christ that they had crucified, both Lord and Christ. Lord, Kyrios, Christ, the anointed one, the word for Messiah. So Peter's telling these Jews or these converts to Judaism that Jesus Christ is God. That's what he's, he is both Lord and he's the Messiah, he's the anointed Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How many of you in here has been cut to the heart? How many of you? Not just for salvation, right? The Word of God whittles on me all the time. Does it whittle on you? And it cuts both ways, right? It's a double-edged sword. So that's one reason why, just a little, little chasing a rabbit, that's why when you're living in sin, the one thing you don't want to get around is the Word of God because it will cut you to pieces. It will, uh, as Jesus said in John 15, it prunes. It wants to cut away the dead wood and all the sin. So, so that they were, it says they were cut. They were cut. I love the way it says that because I can identify with that. It was cut. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Now folks, there's so many things related to repentance and faith. Okay, So Peter says, and there's so many other things they understood when he said repent. Repent. Believe. Repent. Turn. Surrender. Come to Christ. Then he said, and be baptized. Baptize, being baptized is not a symbol of it's not salvation. It's a symbol of the salvation. So Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh, is immersion the will of God for every saint? Is it? Yes. And by the way, I think we're right as Baptists. I'm, you know, you'd expect me to say that because we have Baptist church out there on our sign, but baptism, it, you can read the book of Acts, it was always going under the water. When Jesus was baptized, didn't it say, and coming up out of the water, right? You can answer that. Is that right? So, if I want to follow my Lord in baptism, I want to go in enough water to where I have to come back out of it, right? That's biblical baptism. I'm just chasing a little rabbit. But everybody that was to, got saved was to be immersed or baptized. Look what it says. That's what it says. So it says, now... Says they were cut to the heart. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone, look what the text says. Again, I'm very peculiar about this. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Now, 
I'm not going to teach on predestination and all that right now, but here's the one thing you have to know. Nowhere in the Bible does it say salvation is your decision. Never. It always makes a reference to God owning salvation. And salvation being in Christ alone. And Christ saying, you didn't call me, but I called you. So salvation here is, Luke, who's writing about this, says, it's about everyone, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. So it says, with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. You know, so obviously Peter talked about the scandalous lifestyle of the Romans and the perversion, how the reprobates and, and thieves, you know, so he just condemned, so be saved from sin. Look what verse 41 says So those who received the word, faith, cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, Folks, we are a center for the Word. Our church doesn't need to be known as a a pub that tosses in uh, the Bible. We're, We're not a coffee shop. We're not a pub. We're not opposed to coffee, but I'm just saying... If here's what happens, if you're more worried, this, let me give you an example. Now, this is where you lose it. If 15 people are fretting on Sunday morning that we don't have a certain kind of creamer out there at the coffee shop, and they're more concerned about that than they are about the Word of God and salvation and growing in repentance, that's where you miss the boat. Where what becomes the most important thing has nothing to do with the Word of God and folks getting saved. In our obedience. It has to do so, all these other things. So we're not a pub. We're not, we're not a bistro. We're, we're not a coffee shop. We're a church and we preach the gospel. That's what I think we need to be known for. Is that we teach and preach the Bible. So, so, here, that's, so they, they're all, they, they get saved. It says, so those who received the word were baptized and were added that day about three thousand souls now i mean i don't know how many but i mean i was reading this week i mean there were hundreds of thousands of people in jerusalem for this feast now i don't know how many were there hearing but obviously more than three thousand people but three thousand people had their heart opened by the lord and they came to salvation and that day three thousand got saved now they obviously there's a count somewhere right now, I don't know if it was 2,900. I don't know if it was exactly 3,000 on the nose. But I do know that already numbers matter. We know numbers matter because there's a book of numbers. Numbers matter. So already you've had 120 people mentioned in chapter 1. Now you have 3,000 mentioned. So if you're like numbers, as of right now, there's 3,120 people in the church. Verse 42. Now here's what I want to focus on. It says, and they. 
and they. They include you, by the way. Everybody that's saved now, 2,000 years into biblical history. So, and they, and they devoted themselves. Let me just read down through verse 47 and then I'll come back. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Look how it reads. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. It is the word phobia. Uh, a, rever- a reverential awe, okay? Not necessarily scared to death, but a reverence and awe, as the text says. In awe. Yeah. Do you ever feel in awe of a holy God when you come into the assembly of, of worship? Well, they did. It says, and awe came upon every soul. And that should still happen. And many wonders and signs were being done. If you have your Bibles open, wonders and signs were being done through who? Apostles. Are there apostles today? No, there's not. Don't say yes. There's not. Okay? So if the wonders and signs were done by the apostles... And those and the apostles are no longer here. Guess what else is no longer here? Wonders and signs through the apostles. Okay. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now this is not a commune. Okay. There's a lot of these people. Meaning they're gonna go back home to their own house. But listen to what it says. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, and day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Folks, this is God's Word about the birth of the church. Now, I wrote down two or three things. I know I've got 10 or 11 minutes. Two of these statements, and I wrote them down because I couldn't remember them. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself up for the church. He did. We know that. Can all of us... Now think about what it says. Christ gave Himself up for us or gave up for the church. Gave Himself up to save sinners or save what we now know as the church. 
So I ask a question. Can all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that's what the Bible says, I've been baptized into His death, can I do anything but give up my life? Christ gave up His life for the church. If I'm baptized into Christ and I want to be like Him, can I do any less than give myself up for the work of the church? Folks, let me tell you what's happened. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not some philosopher, but one of the things that's happened since the 90s, you and I have allowed the world to tell us, now listen to me, that it's okay for the church to be the, a tick in the clock. Let me say it again. Starting in the 90s, the world has, has been convincing us that it's okay for the church to be the tick in your clock. So all that you can have 70,000 other things that can consume as much of your life as the church does, and that's okay as long as you go to church, whatever that means. That's not biblical. If the Bible says Christ is our life, and it does in Colossians 3, and, and we are the body of Christ, folks, your life, your life should revolve around the body of Christ. You, and if you can find the Scriptures that can convince me different, I'll look at them. But, but Christ ought to be, and the church ought to be dead center in your, in your calendar, and everything else is submissive to the will of God, the Word of God, the work of the church, and the glory of Christ. That's what we ought to do. And there was a time in America we probably did that to some degree. But you and I both know it's not true anymore. It's a tick in the clock. Matter of fact, the, you know, the trends back in the 90s, the trend, and I'll go way back because that's back when I was a staff member. Everybody started doing two and three worship services. Not because they needed the space, right? They were doing early church so church members could come to Bible study and worship and get the obligation out of the way so they can go to the lake at 10, be at the lake by 10.30 or 11. It was all about convenience. And you'd hear people talk about that. I've heard people here say that. If we had an early church, I could be out and gone by 11 o'clock. Well, let me ask you something. Have I lost my mind? Whose day is it? It's not your day, is it? No, it's His. Folks, it's about, this is about the birth of the church. God owns the church. God birthed the church. Well, let me read a couple of these statements or I'll, I'll, I'll chase too many rabbits. Uh, I just wrote this down and this, this is not very profound, but I thought it made sense. Dear Christian, we will not grow in grace nor mature in our faith by chance or by accident. Your maturity into Christ's likeness just does not happen by chance. The Bible has a, a prescription for that. It, it has directions about how somebody that's a babe in Christ can become mature. And the writer of Hebrews says, you can go from having milk to eating meat. The Bible describes how that happens. But it just doesn't happen by chance. To be in Christ, I think He planned it this way. 
He planned the church to be born at Pentecost. Besides it being the reverse of the Tower of Babel, we talked about that last week. It's very profound. But to be in Christ is not an isolated nor individualistic appointment. What I'm saying is, you don't get saved in isolation. You get saved in a body. It's, it's by design. You believe and you belong together. That's what it says. Over and over. They were together. Let me ask is this where the church was born? Is, is this where this was where the church? Does, did God author the church and does God author the church for believers to be together? Yes, He does. This is God's design for the church. But we have, we've watered it down, we've accepted second best, and that's why the church is full of immature believers. I'm preaching to myself. You know it's true though. Amen. Y'all don't expect you to say amen, but I, it's true. Now, I'm going to give you three or four. I've got five minutes. Uh, we're going to have an invitation in just a minute. But there, there's a phrase in theology, and let me just. There's a phrase that that's used in theological circles that's called God's means of grace. And let me tell you what that means: It's in God's economy in saving you from your sins. How does He plan for you to grow? What's His? How is He? How is He designed for you to be blessed, right? For, for you to mature and for you to be enriched and for you to share your spiritual gifts and for others to share. How, how, how does, we call that the means of grace. How is God going to distribute to you all the graces of being saved? How is He going to do that? Is, is, does the Bible tell us how He wants to do? How is He going to deliver all of that to you? where you're touched by other believers and you're able to serve other people and you learn and disciple. How does God do that? You guessed it. How does He do it? The means of grace can be found right here. Right? And then can be found right here. Those are the means of grace. So corporate worship, we've already read it. Corporate worship, fellowship, the Lord's Supper and prayer and the, the apostles' teaching, these are the means of grace. This is what God does to enrich your Christian life. And folks, I need to remind you that most of that goes on right here. Okay, And that's why we argue historically for an apostolic church. What I mean by that is, is you, you find out, of course you want to know what Jesus taught, because you can be Christ-like, then you find out how the apostles followed Jesus and then what the apostles taught about following Jesus and you do what they did. That's called apostolic authority. And so we build our church on the apostles' word because they are the foundation that we now build on. That's what the Bible says. So we want to be an apostolic church. That's, that's what we want to be known as. And folks, it, we don't have to be hip. We don't have to be radical we don't have to be celebrated you see any of that here? radical celebrative 
out of this world, whatever, whatever word you want to use, adjectives or whatever, modifiers to modify what we do. Can't we just be a simple church, is what I put in the bulletin? A simple church that loves the Bible, right? Let me ask you again. Can't we? You can answer this. Please answer it right. Can't we be a simple church that just loves to meet and learn the Bible? Right. We don't need all those other trappings, do we? We don't. Because all it takes is what's in this book. Those four or five means of grace is what the Bible says a church is built on. Everything else is not necessary. These are the things that are necessary. Anyway, well, a couple things. Number one, the teaching. Okay? Don't be freaked out by teaching, the apostles' teaching. Uh, doctrine, some, some translate it doctrine. And it is just the word teaching. And that's what the rest of the book of Acts is about. That's what all the epistles are about. Those books are about the teachings of the apostles. Okay? This is why believing in the apostolic position of Paul is important. Because Paul wrote half the New Testament. So we believe Paul was an apostle born out of due time. So he had the authority. So we want to know what they say. So it's about teaching God's Word. So one of the main things any church does is teach God's Word. I mean, that is the benchmark of what we do. And it should be the benchmark of what you desire to be a part of, God's learning about God's Word. It's about teaching God's Word. And we used to use this phrase to to edify the saints and to evangelize the lost. That's what you do when you teach God's Word. You build up the saved and you evangelize lost people because God's Word is alive. So let me give you another. That's number one. Teaching number two is together. Together. I know Zach did a study a couple of years ago on all the togethers. You can read the New Testament and just numerous times it mentions what we do together as believers. We serve together, pray together, fellowship together. So together, together, together. Because God doesn't mean for you to live in isolation. You don't get saved and then stay at the house or, or live on your own, your own little world. You become part of the body. So, so... Part of God's will for you is not only to be taught God's Word. His will for you is for you to be together. And uh, the third thing, and there's more than that, but I'll end with the third thing, would be one of the greatest things we do is uh, what I call the table. They're teased today. Okay, So we teach, we're together, and we gather around called the ordinances, but the specific ones I'm talking about is the table, the table of the Lord. Folks, one of the... The New Testament's clear. There's something about the observance of the table of the Lord that God has promised to show up in a way then and there that He does not show up anywhere else. And it's because He's invited us to come to that table of remembrance. And when we do, He sheds His grace on us. So church life, at least three things we're committed to. We're committed to what? We're committed to teaching, right? We're committed to being together. We may even call that fellowship, uh, partnership, membership, whatever. But we're together. We're meant to be together. And then the third thing is the table. Folks,
I, I was reading this article, and, and uh, it's interesting, and I hope this makes sense. But I was reading about, and this is an older article, but I found it in my literature the other day, and it was about this, uh, um, uh, this a young man was in Colorado. I'll make a long story short. It was during snow, winter, and he got lost in the snow. And uh, to make a long story sad short, <clears throat> the young man, I mean, he was in his early 20s, but he perished in the snowstorm, right? He, I don't know if he got lost in the woods, but, but, but anyway, when they found his body in the article, I got it in my office, the, the article at the top, good thing I put the top back on my water, um, the top of the article said, think about lost inside of home. He died, but when they found him, he was within eye shot of his own house. But because of all of the snow and the bad weather, he, couldn't, he didn't know where he was. Folks, today it would be sad for you to be lost inside of home. And what I mean by that is, is church membership doesn't say, does it? No. Jesus saves. Don't die and go to hell inside of home. Folks, get, Christ is the Savior. You need to repent and believe in Him. But then also, for many saved people who have lost their way when it comes to church membership, isn't it time to come home to be together, to be taught, to enjoy His table? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and our hearts are open to the Lord. And In just a moment, we're going to do what we've done many, many times. We're going to stand and, and, uh, for an invitation. But, but let me explain what we're going to do in just a moment. I'm just going to ask Kathy to play in just a minute, and we don't have to worry about singing. But this is the invitation. Uh, number one, if you're here and you've never been saved, I just I cannot plead with you enough about the realities that Jesus Christ is exactly who He says He is. That's the reason He came. It's verified by history. He came, He died, He was buried. He was resurrected from the dead because He's God in a human body. He's now glorified, He's in heaven, and He wants to save you from your sins. The wages of sin is death. He died in your place by faith. You get His history by faith. He takes yours and He died for it. So today, you can be saved. You must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we stand in a moment and start playing the hymn, I'm just praying that you would just come tell me that, that you need to be saved today. So the invitation is for you. But number two, it's for church membership. Now, I don't know what that means to you. Some people might just need to join the local church. Maybe you're new in the community, whatever that would be. And it's time for you to plant yourself. For others, maybe you've been here for a long time, but you've never publicly join the church. Whatever church membership means, maybe it means you need to rededicate your life to church membership. But it is about His body. It is about His church. And it's about your response. Father, we love You and pray that You'll move among us now. We pray in Christ's name. We're going to stand. Kathy's going to play. If you want to sing, you're welcome to do that. But I'll be down front. She's playing. We're standing. If you need to come, you come right now. Come on.